Welcome back, one and all. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. My name is Carly. And today we are graced by returning champions, perennial Hit Factory guests, longtime friends of the show, and I think actually now the winningest of all of our podcast uh, guests. I I think you guys have been on more than anyone else in history. Really? (laughs) In Hit Factory history. All right. Uh, All right. It is uh, Chris Woodward and Kurt Schiller in the house. What's up, fellas? How are you? Always a pleasure to be back. Thank you very much. Likewise. Likewise. Very, very excited to be back, for such, a, especially for such a good film. Yes. And also, uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. The topic of today's conversation is the 1995 James Bond entry, GoldenEye. The first, the debut of Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. The first Bond film helmed by the great Martin Campbell, who we have talked about on this show before uh, vis-a-vis No Escape, his film from the year just before this with Ray Liotta. Uh, But he also did The Mask of Zorro during this decade. And Martin Campbell uh, also helmed one of the other, uh, maybe like top five, one of the definitive Bond kind of reboots Mm-hmm. out of all of the the series entries with Casino Royale. Absolutely. So he's two for two in my book. He's made two fantastic Bond movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with GoldenEye, like, I, I got to be honest, guys, I, Bond has never really been my thing. I, I, don't, I haven't Boo. seen many of them. I, no, it's, it's, it's out of ignorance more than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like Bond did not really appeal to me like as a kid or as like a young movie watcher. I was always more like Spaceships and Dinosaurs and way less like suits and gadgets kind of stuff more interested in it now but this movie is one that i've always enjoyed but i hadn't seen it in probably like 20 years literally like like the last time i think i saw it well i was maybe 13 at a sleepover nice uh but i am interested to hear everyone else on the panels experiences with goldeneye when you first saw it what you thought about it and what you thought about it on this watch so I think that I played the N64 GoldenEye before I saw the film, I believe. Yeah. Now, now I could have seen the film. Um, I just, <laughs> I don't think I, I, I don't think I did before I played the game. Because I, I mean, I was, <laughs> let's see, how old was this came out in 95? So I was like 13, which is like, that's a good that's a good or no, I was I, I was 12. That's a. I, I feel like this is this is perfect for 12, 13. This is a perfect movie for that for like a 12 to 13 year old boy. It's got all the stuff that will make your brain light up like a pinball machine. <laughs> um, but man, oh, man, that, that N64 game is so good. And one of the <laughs> things I was struck by on the rewatch uh, is just how just how much effort they went to to put as much stuff from the movie in the game. Like mm. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot that the mines the sticky mines from yes. GoldenEye, the game, are are in the movie. And I was like, whoa, he's got the mines. He's got the thing. Me, me doing yeah. like uh, the Leo pointing meme <laughs> at yeah. the camera. Um, I have to say, though, I've always loved this film. Um, the, the Brosnan Bonds in general, I feel like, went through a period of being shat upon. And mm-hmm. I was never on board sure. with that. The, at least not, not, not this one. I think there's... there's they... I think the next one is like okay, it's not very good, and then they kind of go off a cliff. But this one is, I think, this may still be the best Bond film, and if it's not, it's like the second or third. Like it's it's still it's it's top three. 
Um, and I think the only ones that could possibly be uh, up for contention with it are like Dr. No from just from being like the originalist. Like I can see that. And then Casino Royale, I think are the only, I think those are the only other two options for, for what stacks up against this film. So I've always loved this film. I stood by this film during dark times when people said it was bad, <laughs> when people were shitting on it. And I am glad, I am glad to have seen it get its critical reevaluation much deserved. So that's, yes. that's where I'm coming from. And I loved this film just as much on the rewatch. And there was so much more that I appreciated it from having not seen similar things. So I think seeing this in the nineties, like this, this film cast a long shadow in the nineties. And there was a lot of stuff that people picked up from and, and started doing that this film, like if not pioneered, then really put on the main stage. And so I can understand feeling like it was a little bit less essential for a time, but now it's like, it's just like a nonstop two hour block of stuff they don't do in films anymore. So yeah, that's where I was yes. coming from on, yes. on, on this watch. So it sounds like unless Carly has a secret history that we don't know about, but I am a, a true blue bond fan since childhood. I, I was, uh, I don't even know how I started watching. I think it was probably just because it was, <clears throat> TBS used to do the Bond marathons. Oh, and, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I would watch them and then I eventually started renting uh, the Bond movies from our local video store. And I, because, you know, they're like two hours long and some of them, some of the like 80s and 70s ones can get a little sleepy. So yeah. I, I I remember falling asleep to almost every single like Roger Moore Bond movie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you and Carly but, both. Yes. Uh, but I, I so I distinctly remember um, watching Gol uh, GoldenEye. Uh, I, I don't think I saw it in theater because I, I would have been like 10 and I don't think my parents would have taken me to it. But uh it, you know I, I remember being obsessed with the movie and also being obsessed with the game as well like like Kurt yep. said that that's a for people our age our general age cohort that is like a huge touchstone um and uh but the the movie itself I, you know I've always loved it I've always held it as a, a higher place in in my you know personal bond rankings uh ju ju just to show you how like much of a bond fan was I started my first eBay account to buy the bond books because they weren't currently in print so i had to go back and get like old editions that were oh on. my god <laughs> this was Wait, like that rules yeah. do you still have them uh, uh yes actually i do at my parents house yep that's where all the good stuff is that's at right. my parents house mom yes. and dad's house has a lot of treasures that's yep. right so so chris i i would not call myself a bond head because i've only read i think i've so i read casino royale i don't know that i've read any of the other books um, but let me ask you this question. I have become a bit of a Bond film head, and I have a very heterodox opinion, which is that although I don't think the movies were very good, I think that Tim Dalton was an exceptional Bond. I think he's yes. he's top three. So I was curious how you felt about that. Because I again, again, I don't think I don't think the movies are that good, but him as Bond, like, oh man. Like you could have dropped him into this film and I think I, I think he still mm -hmm. would have killed it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk I, about that. <laughs> absolutely uh, Kurt, I totally agree with you. Um you know his the Living Daylights, in particular, feels like a whole lot of nothing. Um, Which is, is the one where he gets married at the beginning, and then she gets that is by a License shark. to Kill. Now that license one is to Kill, yeah. That one's a little bit more fun because it's, it has like the Key West locales and has it's like, like Adventure Brothers episode. Yeah, yeah, and, and Felix Leiter gets eaten by a shark, like you said, and uh, it has um, 
oh oh what's his face uh uh well it, wayne newton's in it as like a you know a televangelist and, and things That's like right. that so oh, there's a lot yeah. of fun things in that one but yeah but timothy dalton brings the you know the the uh a steely determination and and, and that uh is right off the the fleming's page right it, yeah. it's he's he is the closest to the bond book yeah um bond character from the books um with uh craig being a, a very close second i would say mm. um but uh golden eye is like it's it's really really fantastic M- Watching it this, so I've always loved it. Watching it this time, what really struck out to, uh, stuck out to me is um, while it's attempting to like reset the whole series and and re- and like reframe Bond for post Soviet world, you know, all, all that stuff that I'm sure we're gonna dig into a little bit more. The thing that struck me this time was it's still a very much classic Bond movie, like one hundred percent. So oh, much of it, yeah, so much of it felt like. You know, a classic. One of the it could have you know been made in the eighties if just certain things would changed around. Like it, it was that. That's what really stuck out to me. Agreed. Yes. A hundred percent agree. Especially that intro sequence. Yes. Yeah. There's a a like a sense of humor that the original Bond films have, mm-hmm. and there is like a kind of wackiness to them. Yes, mm-hmm. but it's balanced with the understanding that there is still like spectacle and mm-hmm. like that it's slick and sexy and like it it's a really fine um a, a friend online comrade yui called it a, a really uh, fine alchemy to these mm-hmm. movies and that's exactly the right word because there there's a a really particular mixture of things that you have to get right mm-hmm. and and that you have to have in balance for it to feel like a Bond film. Mm-hmm. And I think the 70s and 80s Bond films, I have a couple of ones in there that I like, but in mm-hmm. general, they sort of lose some of that elemental like stuff, like the magic of like what makes a Bond film like fundamentally a Bond film. And this film totally reclaims it. It finds that alchemy and like updates it, as you said, Chris, for like a post-Soviet world and also like an internet age, mm-hmm. but still feels very much entrenched in that. Like it's tongue in cheek. It's like overtly sexual and still just like a ton of spectacle mm-hmm. matched with that kind of like reserved slickness, that steeliness um, and all this sort of metallic looking stuff in this particular one. Mm-hmm. It just like totally worked for me. And that that too is what struck me on this rewatch. I haven't seen this since I was a kid and I wouldn't have been able to articulate any of that to you. But on this rewatch, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm feeling Dr. No. I'm feeling like all of the sort of like original Bond vibes. I mm-hmm. definitely think it's top three. It's like Dr. No, this one and Casino Royale. 100%. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's got like this it's it's got very particular ingredients and I would say the other aspect is it uses them all at maximum volume and yes. the key is switching yes. between them because like yes. it's it's silly like like bond is effectively three is effectively three things it's like sexual it's funny and then it's high melodrama and and it yes. has to it has to commit all the way to all three of those like the sex scenes can be a little bit funny, but they also need to be sexy. The funny mm. stuff has to actually be funny, but also Bond still needs to be. But like, like Bond is like a great straight man. 
you know like yes. yep. like he absolutely he he shouldn't be too funny he could be a little like <laughs> you know he, he he's got just the right bit and then again like when it comes to the melodrama that's not the time to be joking until it is it's like just the right just yes. the right perfect balance of of mm. those of those things and if any of them is like oh it's only like a little bit funny it's not but it's like it's it doesn't quite capture it yeah. yes 100 percent. and it's one of the reasons that brosnan is so good Mm-hmm. as bond in this mm-hmm. movie he's I, I he's not a blank slate i think that's roger moore's job i i think that <laughs> brosnan is is um reserved enough and and frankly i think like maybe because this was his first bond film not like super confident in the role mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. that he was able to navigate all of those tonal shifts really well I notice in the two movies that follow this one, he's a little bit more like emphatically Bond. Yeah. Um, And in this one, I think it works that he's not quite there yet Mm -hmm. because it does, it does allow for that balance to happen. That nice, that nice little chemistry. I I think that this Bond film feels like the first time that James Bond has been in a Bond film. Like, like within the movie, within the world of the movie, it feels like the first time that, or or one of the first times that James Bond is in a very silly James Bond type conceit. Whereas the later ones, you get the impression he's just gotten done three more of these wacky, you know, he's like, in in this film, he doesn't have this attitude of of like oh another supervillain oh once again once again you know he he is taken aback by a bit of the silliness like when he's driving the tank he's kind of like I'm driving a tank I guess yeah. now you know like <laughs> yeah not yes. that he said well that happened but it is it, <laughs> right. it, is, it is a little bit of like oh well what are you gonna do you know and that it's and that's living. important that's super important yes. to these it's like. It's not yet like a post irony bond, yes, but it exactly. is. But it is one that, thankfully, and I think refreshingly, because of the era that it's happening in, is a bond that is often commenting on itself and mm-hmm. its own absurdity. And sometimes it's doing it in like, you know, kind of kitschy, fun ways. Like every time that Brosnan knowingly says the name on a top. You know, yes, like he's yeah. like, I, I also get that this is ridiculous, but in a fun way. Yeah. Uh, but then there's those moments too. you know, like his encounter with Judy Dench in this one mm. where she like is is spelling out a lot of the stuff that the audience feels about Bond, too. And it's like, I think you're like a misogynist. I think you're a relic of like a, an old order. And, you know, so you're, you're a, a relic of the Cold War. Yeah, I don't think I think you're obsolete at this point, and I don't really know what you are, or what to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that the movie very wisely is pondering that question through most of it and asking that. It is one that feels like it could have very distinctly been an '80s Bond movie, like you said, Chris. Yeah. Like, change a couple of things about like the geopolitics and who's who in it. And it's Mm -hmm. still like uh, in, in inter cold war, like Soviet Russia as the villain kind of movie. Yeah. Or, you you know, I think in that situation, it'd be like, you know, it, it, they would think that was the Russians, but it would turn out to be just, you know, the, 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 um, Trevelyan being, being like working against both interests, like that kind of right. thing. Right. He's like yeah. the Cossacks, like they, yes. they say yes. he is or whatever, you yeah. know, that he's like, uh, he, he, he's got both sides kind of in his sights a yep. little bit. Yep. But I, I think that one of the things about this movie, just the, the magic of it that we're kind of talking about has to do with 
the steadfast and assured direction of Martin Campbell. Absolutely. Who, you know, like I said, we've talked about on the show before. I think he is one of the undersung greats of action cinema in the twentieth, late 20th, early 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's done so many good ones. He even, we just watched his Liam Neeson vehicle memory from 2021. Memory is so fucking good. It's solid. It's really good. It looks good. It's, it's got a head on its shoulders. Like he's always, even when he's kind of on autopilot doing something that is better looking more, you know, just kind of sleek and layered and thoughtful than other action filmmakers are. And I think that he definitively understands bond yes he does i think that that's the only way that someone like a martin campbell can do what he did in his career which is make of the first bond movie definitively in a post-cold war society Mm -hmm. and then also update bond for a post 9-11 society yep the prime ministers talked to moscow they're saying it was an accident during a routine training exercise governments change the lies stay the same what else do we know about the Yana Syndicate? Top flight arms dealers headquartered in St. Petersburg. First outfit to restock the Iraqis during the Gulf War. The headman's unreliably described, no photographs. The woman on a top is her only confirmed contact. Would you care for a drink? Thank you. Your predecessor kept some cognac in the top. I prefer bourbon. Ice? Yes. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant, a bean counter, more interested in my numbers than your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death. But I won't do it on a whim, even with your cavalier attitude towards life. I want you to find Goldeneye, find who took it, what they plan to do with it, and stop it. And if you should come across Uramov, guilty or not, I don't want you running off on some kind of vendetta. Avenging Alec Trevelyan will not bring him back. You didn't get him killed. Neither did you. Don't make it personal. Casino Royale and Goldeneye feel like completely different movies yes feel like they were made in almost different universes by different people they are still both distinctly bond movies and Mm -hmm. they both feel like the bond of the stories Mm -hmm. uh but but he just he has his finger on the pulse in a way that i think is like so so awesome (laughs) you know there's nothing else there just like it's it's just so fucking cool he understood that you could he understood what to do with Bond in 1995 and like mm-hmm. reintroduce that character and get back to those like fundamentals that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he understood those fundamentals enough to know what he needed to take away yeah. in 2006 or whenever the first one was. 2006 was Casino Royale. And Casino Royale, he he was like, okay, like we're not doing the wacky shit anymore. <laughs> we're not doing like the names. We're not doing like the you know sort of like bombast and the the like slapstick comedy like it's a much more serious Mm. incredibly tense like very restrained um bond movie but he still understands 
that the things that make a Bond movie good, the things that are core to that that uh, franchise are things you can't get rid of. Like he he mm-hmm. didn't get rid of the slickness. He didn't get rid of the sexiness. He didn't get rid of the sort of overt sexuality of the film. And mm-hmm. also that like there are moments when Craig is playing Bond with a little bit more levity but we are in a very different era. And I appreciated that he just like kind of went back to like, no, we're just playing cards. Yeah. Like that's I, what this is. I, I, I think the thing that um, Campbell brings to modern era Bond, uh, Bond, excuse me, that all the other directors have failed is he, he still sees the value in a really good practical stunt. Yes. That yes. Nobody else really seems to want to do like Sam Mendes and, and Carrie, yes. Carrie Fuganaka. They're, they're more focused on like, you know, interpersonal and they're, you know, they're shading into like MCU lore type stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. Campbell is like, Focused on like if you think of Casino Royale as that like that big car flip was yes fucking awesome yeah and, and then in Goldeneye he has like the tank scene like Kurt you already mentioned is just an amazing bit of like, one of the best act- stunts I have yes. ever seen they're they're dry they're literally driving a a real tank through real streets like it, it's not you know there's not the they're not on a volume they're not on like yeah, yeah so, it, some of it is on a in a, a studio in a studio back lot in london where they're like crashing through like, yeah st petersburg like <laughs> archways and stuff yes. but, but they're still uh, really doing it yes is, is, yeah. is the important thing and, and it looks and great think, it looks yes. it looks so much better than so this would well look. and that's the whole thing about golden eye like the movie from like beginning to end is jam-packed with those kind of sequences like mm-hmm. the opening um dive off the dam it's like it's perfect it is it's it's because it, it's like he he presents you the perfect sense of scale like you're like where you like come up to the dam and you see it's like this gigantic it's just like uh you know unfathomably tall dam and then you're like oh he's gonna have to jump off that thing and, and then he does and he just he's just falling forever and it's just mm-hmm. this amazing stunt i'm so glad you brought it up chris because like this is for me not just like breathtaking in its own right but it's a perfect bond stunt mm-hmm. yes. because it shows the scale and enormity of the thing like when they do that camera like tilt up <laughs> yes it goes on for that about so 10 good. seconds longer that, than you think oh, it's gonna like yeah. it's oh so fucking tall and you're like this is this is higher than it should be and when he jumps you know they set it up they escalate it right they put him in like that you know insane long shot from the mm-hmm. ground so you see how far he's actually falling mm-hmm. but it's quiet it's just yes. like this mm-hmm. very elegant very simple line down the middle of this dam mm-hmm. and it's got this like like i said elegance and simplicity to it the way that you think of like when you think of bond yes uh it is just but perfect it, it caps the stunt off with a little bit of cheekiness which is yes. also what makes it bond yes, yes there's like there's like the boop okay i've with shot that into the ground gun. and i'm right here like <laughs> yeah. and that just that just is like the perfect tenor to open that movie yeah it's it's just enough ironic distance from it's just just enough Mm -hmm. because like i think that everyone who has tried to follow in campbell's wake has has either over or underdone the ironic distance they try to because like agreed you know what i kept thinking about in this film was i was comparing constantly in my head the uh sean bean's alec uh, trevelin slash Janus, Janus, I guess. <laughs> with uh, with uh with um uh what's his name's uh Blofeld in Christoph um, Waltz. Christoph Waltz, which I thought yeah. was a shit oh, yeah. shit great actor. Awful. Love him. Let him shit. 
character was, a, was, oh, was terrible. 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 Terrible character. And they had the entire, you know, they, they had 40 years of people knowing who Blofeld is to work off of, whereas nobody knows who Janice is. Nobody even knew who Sean Bean was really in, in uh, 95. And that feels so much more impactful when he shows up only like 30 minutes after he apparently died. And you're like, holy shit, it's that guy. You know, it's, it's just, it's just enough. Like Campbell knows just where to, he knows just the right amount of silliness. He knows just the right. He, he just does things very well. Mm-hmm. And I respect by the way, that he did, that he didn't just direct like eight bond films in a row. I respect yes. that. He's like, I'm your guy to come in and fix stuff. But you only get two. You get <laughs> yes. once a decade. I'll come in and I'll fix your franchise, and then I'll yeah. go away again for a while. Yeah. So I, we'll have to see if he comes back a third time. And like, I hope he does. Years. I was oh, making this argument something? too. Yes. So the, 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 we we keep mentioning like you know there's there's still the ironic distancing, which but I think it's important to distinguish it from like the ironicness of today's like blockbusters, where Absolutely. it's it's acknowledging some of the silliness, but it's not undercutting any of right. it. right it's taking it's still taking it like it's still like hey this is fun yes. rather than like can you believe we're doing this like that kind of stuff yeah a lot of modern films think that they they miss that the stuff that you can laugh at is still also good in and of itself right like, yes like, like like the this is a film that's like it, it has an almost to totally different ends and tones, but it kind of does the same thing that someone like uh, Verhoeven does, where he's like, this is silly and a bit stupid, but also I'm going to do it as hard as I possibly can. This is going to be a kick-ass action film and also kind of make fun of action films. This is the same way. It's like, uh, we're going to both make fun of spy films and also be a kick-ass spy film. And the thing that's important, too, is that it never breaks the fourth wall. Right. It it can be self-aware without telling you that it's self-aware right Mm -hmm. and that's the thing that i just like that takes all the steam out of like Mm -hmm. any momentum that uh, action films today have is this like insistence on like i know that you know and i'm gonna tell you that i know that you know and then we're gonna have a moment it flattens any stakes in the movie totally flattens the stakes whereas this movie you feel and and inherently know that the film knows what it's doing Mm -hmm. and that like there is an awareness on the part of the actors and the characters themselves in the film of of what is going on without ever like breaking that i want that cinematic distance Mm -hmm. i want that aura (laughs) i want the i want the the fluff in between case in point here Famke Janssen's character. Oh. I was just say, I, I was just gonna say that's the other thing missing from all these other Bond films. Xenia on a top. I fucking love her. <laughs> She's incredible. Okay, for, former Soviet pilot, so like a military woman who uh, crushes men to death between her thighs and climaxes to yes. this the sound of gunfire like literally is orgasming murdering people yeah i was gonna say i don't even think it matters how it's just like did you notice orgasms when people die yes. yes did you notice when they're about to crash the train into the tank she's standing in the background practically like licking her lips going like oh boy a train crash it's so oh, she's funny. so it's ready so for good. it yeah. And she's having more fun than I've ever seen her have in a movie before. I was talking about this uh, online, but also with Carly, where it's like, I can't believe that like 
Ratner and Singer did like three X-Men movies, like nine hours right? of X-Men movie without ever letting her have like even an, a drop of fun in Jean any of them. Sucks. She's so she's, bad. She in those and e- even the movie, uh, the last end where she's ostensibly supposed to become like one of the most powerful beings in the universe. She like, and, and, and then like, she's supposed to like, totally become herself as well like it's mostly you know because the phoenix storyline is all about like Jean becoming uh, onto her own uh but she like she's still just like this like they make her this like you know flat affect robot like it's yeah it's, it's so terrible it's awful and so in this movie like not only is she having a blast and we're having fun alongside her which is like the premise of this super over the top like villainess mm-hmm. who you know is doing all this but Campbell does something really wise too, which is like combines the absurdity with the action Mm -hmm. and has that scene that is both a James Bond sex scene and a James Bond fight scene in the sauna. No, I was going to say this scene perfectly distills down what Bond movies are about. They are about that, that tension walking that very fine line between the sort of violence uh of of the action and the the bombast of of you know all of the sort of like masculine energy that these movies have mm-hmm. and the the bombast and spectacle of sex and yeah. of the like overt sexuality mm-hmm. of the films and that kind of like that kind of like salacious eroticism that these mm-hmm. movies have mm-hmm. that scene just like i was watching it and i was like this is this is Bond movies. This is Bond movies. This is Bond yeah. movies. It, it's yeah. that titillating stuff that you guys were talking about for like 13-year-old boys where like all the buttons get pushed where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is kind of badass and cool because it's like a fight scene and it's, you know, well shot and a, you know, flashy environment. But also, this is awakening something in me that I had no idea was there. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of want a girl to beat me up a little bit like and make out with me at the same time. Well, and importantly, <laughs> the stunt work in this scene feels weighty like mm-hmm. i i don't think this scene would have worked if the action and the sort of like uh some of the some of the pain that they're going through in in this scene didn't feel believable because that's mm-hmm. that's both like what turns her on but it's also the thing that's necessary for like the tension between them to work yep. because otherwise you're just like thinking this is a silly thing that I'm watching. Yeah. And so kudos to the the stunt people and to the actors and also the way this scene was shot. There mm-hmm. are so many awesome shots. Like that one when he has like, he's, you know, covered in sweat. He's just like totally wet and his hair slicked back and he's shirtless in a towel. And he's just like pointing a gun at her, like staring down the barrel of, <laughs> it's just like, it fucking rules. Yeah. And it, it is it, it it does have some like really understated but very funny when you think about it comedic beats like the mm, fact yes. that that Bond in that in that that sex fight uh, scene can't decide whether he's trying to have sex or whether he's trying to fight because like it's so funny yeah, literally when, he, can't. when he tosses his towel and his gun aside and yes. it's like it's clear that she's trying to kill him already and he's like well let's see how it goes this way oh no okay let's try it <laughs> yeah. the other way now like it's really good it's a perfect balance and in that like you know that opening scene i think we've we've talked about already with the the bungee jumping off the dam mm-hmm. but everything about that scene is just laid out perfectly to set the tone you've got that moment you've got the gadgetry with like the bombs being set and the intrigue of the espionage 
Sean Bean, Pierce Brosnan together, or is it Sean Bon? I don't know. How do you stop? Because they're they're both spelled the same. Uh, <laughs> but then you know they have this shootout, and you think it's going to climax in this you know kind of guns blazing, AK muzzle flashes sort of thing, and Brosnan squeaks out yes. behind like the the movable yes. rollable shelf with all of the flammable liquids all the kind of like containers on it mm-hmm. and it's just that perfect little wheel squeak as he's yes. slowly that's almost like a across Keaton the room gag. Like, yes, yes. So it funny. Is. Yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a perfect little note it's like what martin campbell does well too like when i saw that i immediately got flashes of the sword fight scene in mask of Zorro mm, uh, along yes. with the, with the sex fight in the yep. sauna, you know, like yes. when, when Antonio Banderas is slashing Catherine Zeta Jones's blouse off yes. mm-hmm. while they're like fighting one another. Yeah. He just, he just knows what the people want. He can get you to react in so many different yeah. and exciting ways yes. all in one scene. Yeah. He, d- he definitely knows what like a, you know, a 10, 11 year old me <laughs> wants for sure. Uh, he for sure does. Yeah. Um, yeah. That scene, uh, I loved so, and I don't know if it comes from Goldeneye, but um, definitely in the books as well. I love anytime there's any mentions of like 006 or, or any of like mm-hmm. the, yes. the further world of like the 00 agents because it, it really helps build it out and it makes you like think of. It, I love there's it's it's the rare, but there are a couple scenes where Bond, mostly in the books, I'd say where Bond just like goes into the office and just like does like paperwork. Like he'll, he'll just like go in and like, he's like, you know, kind of, and he's like really like over it. He's like, I just can't wait till a new mission comes up, blah, blah, blah. But like it's, and then it's fun. Cause he's like talking with his, he has an assistant. And he's talking to her about like, Oh, what's the below eight up to and stuff like that. Like that's, the, it's that kind of like, you know, weird uh, domesticity uh, or, you know, everyday stuff that um, places Bond within the context of like, he's not just like the singular, I mean, he is obviously he's James fucking Bond, but he's, he's, he's a part of like a larger thing. And I think uh, nobody does is nobody is like a better, like, you know, also double agent than Sean Bean. Like he, he's, he's got the look. He's like this, you know, like super handsome, like, yes. You know, he's yes. Great. Is, he, is he Irish or is he British or, um, I think he's, I think he's British, I think British, he's probably. Yeah. British. He's, he's handsome. He's like, you know, got the dirty blonde hair and he's just like, he, he's just so, uh, he's just perfect. He, he's really, really perfect. Carly pointed out that they have to kind of ugly him up with a scar because it's like he's too hot otherwise. Yeah. And then he's like, he's, he's like too much of a a foil for Bond because like, I I have to say, I don't know all y'all's opinions on this, but like Pierce Brosnan never did it for me. Like he's, Mm. I'm, it's not because he's unattractive. I mean, he's he's a beautiful man, but I think he's like too beautiful for me. Like I Mm. like when, I like when guys are a little bit like more like, rugged i think that's why i like craig little rough but trade. like Sh- sean bean holy shit he's <laughs> yeah. smoking hot oh in yeah. this movie. oh if you like that if you like that and hey do you like napoleon <laughs> um <laughs> you should watch the uh the uh, sharps rifles uh series it is it is a series of tv movies that was sean bean's breakthrough uh role where he plays Wait, he plays the, the leader of of a rifle brigade in like the napoleonic wars Oh um, shit! And there's like there's like twelve or thirteen of them, and they're they're fucking great. He's just like getting up to like this weird like Napoleonic like rifleman hijinks the entire time. They're they're very charming, but suffice to say, uh, he's he's from uh, I believe North England. He has that very distinct mm. like Yorkshire accent. Um, yes. But what I what I love about him is as um 
as Trevelyn is, is as, as you say, he feels like he should be Bond. He is mm -hmm. more Bond than Bond. But what I love about Brosnan, and I think that having them together kind of sets up, is Brosnan is smarmy. Right. And I yeah. agree. He's he not, he doesn't, he doesn't quite do it for me either. Like there's something about it, but something I was thinking about when we were talking earlier is uh, about kind of like updating bond for different eras. Brosnan is the perfect bond for the mid nineties. Cause mm -hmm. he's like a business bond. Yes. He's not like, yeah. he's, oh, not a Kurt. he's not a fighter. He looks like he's like an international businessman flying yep. first class, traveling Perfect. around much yep. more than he is. At, like he, he's not like he's not a Daniel Craig assassin type, nor no. is he like like a smug Roger Moore or even like a Sean Connery type. He's in he's 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 business class bond, you know. Yes. Take it back. He's not first class bond. He's business class bond. Yes. Holy shit, Kurt. He's NGO bond. He's, <laughs> yes. He's, yes. He's exactly. Beautiful bureaucrat. Yes. He bond. totally is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's he's Delta he's Lounge like bond. Yeah. Corporate. He's he's like BBC bond. Yeah. He's a he's well, a Laker. He's he's a John Lacar. Um, Bond, oh, who showed, right. who shows oh, up for but, sure. But so he, would sure. Be, he would be the shitty asshole in a John yes. Lacar, yeah, yes. not the hero, and yes. and instead he's our hero. And so, like, he is kind of a shitty asshole. Like, he's a cad. He's he kind of sucks yes. a little bit, but he is also like, mm -hmm. he's just he's just right. He's the man for his time and place. He's as the they man say, for the time. In, but in, you're in so Bukowski. right. That's who we that's who we lauded in the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, yeah. that was that that was like it, it was it was all about like. The new business era and the technocracy. Skymall like, Bond. All his yes. were bought from, bond. Were bought oh from the Skymall catalog. And, 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 and lest the, we forget, brilliant. lest we forget that he had a run in the eighties and early nineties on Remington, Remington Steel, Steel, right? right like that was right. where he kind of came from. In fact, we were talking earlier about how this might or could have been a Timothy Dalton Bond. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that it it was supposed to be a mm -hmm. Timothy Dalton Bond at one point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, I read way too many uh, paragraphs about all of the corporate politics that oh. are uh, around, like the the broccolis. The broccolis, the dude, it's so funny to me. That yeah, that is like old money. Like they, they literally invented it. broccoli, right? Yeah. Like they're so yeah. fucking old. Their money so <laughs> goes so long that like they invented a vegetable. Uh, but like all of the politics and all the kind of like musings and dealings between them and MGA and United Artists and all these other businesses that would acquire those production companies, what have you. But a third Dalton movie just totally like blew up, basically. It was supposed to happen in like 1991. It didn't. Then they start working on Goldeneye. And by the time it's almost ready in like 93, early 94, they're like, let's get Dalton back. He's like, I'm excited to do it maybe this can be like a trilogy capper for me and I can like close out my story in a really fun way. And of course the broccoli crime family and, and you know, everyone else involved <laughs> is like, well, hold on. Like it's been like five years, six years. Uh, you've got to do at least like three or four more of these. If you want to come that's back such to be a, that's such like a 2020 thing, isn't it? Like, yes. it, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's so wild to think of getting an actor for that many films at, well, it, at that time. In that, the, yeah, it, 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 uh, the Broccoli's, their, their company, their production companies, Eon Productions, um, 
that they are kind of like a precursor to like the MCU type of thing they where big time are. Yeah, where it's it's very producer driven rather than like director or or uh you mm-hmm. know writer driven where uh-huh. it's it's all about, you know, the package deals and it's all about who signs up for what. So, yeah, they're they're very much um, you know, very on the forefront of that kind of style of producer. So it, it doesn't surprise me that they would be the first to pull out that kind of like, you know, deal with the devil type stuff. Right. Like you've got to do this. And in later interviews too, like Dalton is like, they were probably correct about that. Like it had been so long that <laughs> yeah. for me to come back, you know, it, it's, it's yeah. a good sort of ROI to like get me to, to do multiple Bond movies, but he just didn't want to commit to it. So yeah. they got, it they is, got Brosnan. It is funny to think of six years between films now seeming like a long time. I know. Right. Now that seems like a normal <laughs> amount of time between yeah. two yeah. films yeah. in a series. Well, it's actually funny too, because the inverse is true in, in that before Dalton was cast, they were actually looking at Brosnan at that time too. Correct. So yeah. We, we, we could have been looking at a very much younger Brosnan. Now the, the thing is i think it's it it all shook out perfectly because brosnan is perfect for golden eye yes he's perfect in this role for the reasons that you were talking about kurt you know he's business class bond and uh i think brosnan in in the dalton if they would have done the same movies he wouldn't have been as good because you know though like some of the only good things about those movies are dalton and i don't think brosnan would have been able to do that um yeah, I think Brosnan um, is so perfect for this. He he brings not only does he bring like that business thing, he is believable in the action scenes too, which is I think uh, yes, yes, yeah. he's terrific. The, and the, he's, the, he's I was not really a modern struck action by guy, that, but he's perfect. He's though. not. And, but the the thing I think the thing that like he's uh, too much, and I don't want to like you know turn this into a ragging on modern blockbusters, but he 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 brings a coolness to his action things where it's not just like, uh, you know, Oh, Oh my God, this is a crazy thing happening to me. Oh my God. He like, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, Brosnan's bond in action is, uh, you know, like best summed up by that one shot at the, in the big final fight at the, in, in the, uh, satellite, um, underground bunker thing where he's loading up a gun or the mine or something. And there's just a random shot next to his head. And he just goes, and just keeps doing what he's doing. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is an audio medium. He he like kind of like tilts his head a little bit, but otherwise he's just continuing on with his like whatever he's doing. He's like, you know, his his thing. And it's just a it's such a cool under pressure type moment that is just perfect for you know, for Bond, for Pierce Brosnan, for the movie. Like it's just it just works so well. We do also get scenes where he's like way in over his head though and is a little bit panicky yes. cuz like the fight in the mm-hmm. archives where he's oh, yes. yeah. he's got um Natalia with with him and he's kind of like he's kind of doing like the ah gotta get out of here type type run yes. and like kind of like he's he's like all over the place they're running in, in like a weird panic like it it would be easy to push that a little bit too far into comedy but in like he he's he's right on the line where as you say like he's very cool and collected but he's not so cool and collected that he doesn't that he doesn't drop it when the scene is appropriate. He right. doesn't need to be cool and collected to feel like Bond. Yes. Yeah, and he also I will say this of Brosnan, I in my head had sort of conjured an image of a like uh, a very um I don't want to say catatonic Bond, but like a not <laughs> not like not as physical as as other Bonds and 
he he really is like invested in the physicality of the role like a lot of the stunt work and like the running like it's not him just sort of trotting along or whatever like he's running at top speed and like you can tell i think that a, a lot of the action works particularly between him and bean at the end because mm-hmm. both actors are committed to the physicality of the <clears throat> scenes even mm-hmm. when it's stunt doubles like and and the, he manages to do that Brosnan does while still maintaining that cool that we're talking about and i think that's what makes it feel like heftier it's <laughs> not just him like sort of experiencing everything at a remove and kind of being like mm-hmm. yeah this doesn't phase me like even when he's not phased, he's still in, he's still in the mm-hmm. action with mm-hmm. his like corporeality, his, mm-hmm. his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is funny though, just, and th- this is something I only really noticed on this watch through. And now I kind of want to watch Casino Royale and see how they compare in this, in this sense. Brosnan is in a tuxedo for a lot of this film. It's not just like the one scene. Like I feel like a lot of Bond, like Bond, Bond, Bond films always have to have the tuxedo scene, but yep. he's really in a tuxedo. Like when he's driving the tank, he's wearing the tuxedo, and like yes. he of course has to like like adjust <laughs> his tie at the end. And I it it ends it it lends it a certain again like it's not a joke, but it is like a little bit funny when you when you think about it. And it's it's just and, and so like when he's doing all these action sequences and he's wearing his tuxedo and, and, you know, it, it makes him feel both like a little bit silly and also like fairly human. Like mm-hmm. it's both absurd yes. and also like impressive. Like same thing with the sex scene. Like yes. it's, it's him naked fighting this woman that he wants to fuck. And it's like very bond, right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. bond has sex. That's his thing. So like him being naked is, as elemental a tuxedo as the tuxedo, right? But it does kind of feel wacky. And I mean, we keep coming back to this, but it's it's Campbell and it's it's the actors involved just really sort of nailing the tenor of like that very fine balance in order to make all of it work. Mm-hmm. Alec, back from the dead. No longer just an anonymous star on the memorial wall at MI6. What's the matter, James? No glib remark? No pithy comeback? Why? (laughs) Hilarious question. Particularly from you. Did you ever ask why? Why we toppled all those dictators, undermined all those regimes? Only to come home. Well done, good job, but sorry, old boy. Everything you risked your life and limb for has changed. It was the job we were chosen for. Of course you'd say that. James Bond, Her Majesty's loyal terrier, defender of the so-called faith. Oh, please, James, put it away. It's insulting to think I haven't anticipated your every move. Yes. I trusted you, Alec. (laughs) Trust? What a quaint idea. How did the MI6 screening miss that your parents were Leon's Cossacks? Once again, your faith is misplaced. They knew. We're both orphans, James. But where your parents had the luxury of dying in a climbing accident, mine survived the British betrayal and Stalin's execution squads. But my father couldn't let himself or my mother live with the shame of it. MI6 figured I was too young to remember. And in one of life's little ironies, 
the son went to work for the government whose betrayal caused the father to kill himself and his wife. Hence, Janus. The two-faced Roman god come to life. It wasn't God who gave me this face. It was you setting the timers for three minutes instead of six. Am I supposed to feel sorry for you? No. You're supposed to die for me. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did think of asking you to join my little scheme, but somehow I knew 007's loyalty was always to the mission, never to his friend. Can, can I just say, uh, you did a bunch of research on the production behind the scenes stuff, Aaron, it sounds like. And Chris, you came loaded with that info, it sounds like. Let me just say, I researched one thing, exactly one <laughs> thing, and it was the sound, the mm. clunk sound yes. do you know the origin of of the clonk sound in in the music yeah. so it's it is a hallmark of this one composer i think his name is eric sarah eric sarah who did the the music for this who's a collaborator uh often with luke besson yes i was gonna say uh, he, he m probably most famously in uh, leon the professional yes um, which oh, also okay. has the, the clonk sound I, I don't know how else to describe it if, if yes. you've seen the film you know the clonk sound or, it is, or played the game because that, that sound is game. constantly played in the yes. game is it really mm -hmm. oh. it is yes it's it's no. it's it's iconic of this particular it, it shows up in some other movies but it is very much like this composer loves that sound what it is it is the sound of a tambourine slowed down to one sixteenth speed Wow. That is huh. it's literally just like it was an existing sample sound of a tambourine that he was like, I bet this would sound funny if I slowed it way down. And he did it, and then he uses it like hundreds that. of times throughout the Oh music. my god. Wow. That's wild. We we gotta talk about the score a little bit too, because of all of the things that are working really well about this movie, this is the one that gets most often criticized. Really? Yes. And I've and I've heard some people like there's a lot of apologists for Eric Sarah especially in my mentions right now on Twitter who are like, I, I really like this guy. I think the score is great. Uh, but it was something that I routinely saw a lot of criticism about in contemporaneous reviews of the movie. Mm. Well, they're People wrong. Didn't, I, th I think they're wrong too, actually. It's, <laughs> it's like, and especially now it feels like a very nineties kind of yeah. soundscape. It it's from 1995. And, yeah, from totally. 1995. And, and, it and it should. It absolutely should. And it is. It's a little bit like kind of avant-garde. It feels like a weird French guy making yes. like, it sounds like a like a uh, Jean-Pierre Genet movie or something. Yes. Like, it yes. sounds it's like, like it should be like Amelie. It's techno at times. It's like, got, yeah. like a little bit of house music to it at times. In a it weird does. Way. Yeah. I think you that should... this is just a question of did did you, I, I, I think that if you were, if you were alive and self-aware in 1995, you you recognize this vibe and it is very of that moment and i think it's aged pretty well to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest i think it's a lot better than the generic like orchestral strings that you get and everything now because it's got yeah, some character it's, it's got decisions in it that's the thing it's yes. got decisions. it totally does yes. it totally does yeah and i will say both the opening credit song wow. <laughs> and the opening, the opening credit credits. sequence which i want to talk about in a second yes and the closing credit song are excellent mm. but Back on a point that you made about there being sort of like a house techno vibe, Aaron revealed to me earlier today that one of the um, artists who had recorded a track for the the closing credits that, uh, that that didn't make it, and then he played me a bit of the song, which we should 
put in this episode. Oh, it's going to be the the outro music. Okay, for great. Sure. Is it, it absolutely is it Moby? It, no, j- check this out. It's Ace of Base. Oh. <laughs> so so let's talk about this. We'll because we'll, I want to talk about the the introductory sequence, the the title sequence. Uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. A whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> First of all, Tina Turner performing Goldeneye. Uh, the song is written by Bono and The Edge. Yes. I don't know if you knew that part of it, uh, but hell yeah. They just released uh, a, a new record, Songs of Innocence. Right. Is it? I don't know what it it's is. It's fine. Apparently it's just a bunch <laughs> of boring versions, boring covers of their their really good songs. Uh <laughs> But yeah, so so Ace of Base recorded a song for Goldeneye that was going to be used in the title sequence that later became a single of theirs called The Juvenile. And when I was listening to it, there is in the verse parts where uh, the singer, whose name escapes me now, uh, syllabically kind of emphasizes juvenile. And it fits perfectly with where it would have said golden eye, <laughs> like juvenile golden eye. And yeah. you're like, oh, just replace this in your head with golden eye. And this is the golden eye. Sound and it song. sounds like a it literally sounds like a Bond song by Ace of Base. Yeah, like, it, it, I mean, like it rocks. I, it's really I, good. I couldn't. I there's no other way to describe it except if a Bond song was sung by Ace of Base, and it's so fucking good. I think it's really good. But the one that we get with Tina Turner singing is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, just what's going on in the animations during we, this title sequence is like... We need to like, talk about it. I, I mean, very indicative of the era and, of course, of like this being the first post-Soviet <laughs> Bond. I was going to say, it couldn't yeah. be any more heavy-handed. <laughs> it's, it's, literally, it's literally just like shattered statues of Stalin that a bunch of sexy women are like walking all over. And then and Lenin and Lenin and Lenin, Lenin Lenin and Stalin. Uh, And as the sequence closes, it is those same uh, silhouettes of women with the hammer Mm -hmm. smashing the sickle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I do love the, um, there's there's one part of it where there's a woman in kind of like a cabaret type outfit and it looks like she's leaning on like a cane and and then like a big stiletto heel comes down and smushes and smushes bond and then she picks up the cane and you see that it's a sledgehammer and i thought that was very good (laughs) i thought that was very well done that and the part where the gun comes out of her mouth after the cigarette goes away. Oh, yes. Very good. Oh, yeah. Very good. I want to I wanna talk about that briefly. So for all of the, the imagery in the opening sequence that is overtly like, fuck you, communism. We hate you, Russia. We have conquered you. We're smashing all of your icons and your idols. Um, there is also, like, funnily enough, a lot of imagery in this opening credit sequence that speaks to russian avant-garde era art particularly Mm -hmm. movie posters um which had a lot of like sort of mechanical and industrial elements mixed with facial forms there this was an obsession of the era and it was meant to sort of like allude to a kind of future a future looking humanity that like this blending between technology and industry and human is like the future of Russia. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of Russian avant-garde art and a lot of Russian avant-garde artists who then made posters for propaganda movies, uh, for propaganda films, um, 
have this like blend of like a lot of eyes, a lot of like, um, uh, like sort of industrial riveting elements of like the organic and, and the mechanic being mixed together. And that's all in this opening credit sequence. So Mm -hmm. like, I appreciated that it was like sort of narratively and visually speaking to the United States ascendancy over Russia and over communism, but at the same time was utilizing a lot of like Soviet era Mm -hmm. imagery Mm -hmm. in the opening, in the opening sequence. And that just felt like really fucking cool to me. And I noticed it because I, I recognized those elements of the, of the posters and, and that art. And I have to imagine that the people making that sequence we're aware of that. Like, you they know, must it's, have been. It's, that's such a good observation. I, I, that never occurred to me. And you are so right. There's even like that, that scene where the gun comes out of the woman's mouth. There's like a series of red flags arranged mm-hmm. in like a row there. That's another, like, that's a super common. That, that's such a good observation. I have to say, I never took it as being like gloating exactly about, about the collapse. Of the I don't Soviet think that Union. it is. Me, I don't it's, think it's it a little bit like nostalgic almost or like wistful mm-hmm. almost. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. It, it, that is positioning this as like the, you know, post-Soviet bond movie. Uh, you know, the Russians were, or the Soviets were such a common enemy in almost all the bond films up yeah. to, to this point. And it, there's a real sense of like, um, you know, it's, it's, not relishing def- you know their their defeat it's like they're kind of like the soviet union is almost like the ghost of the feast because they're like everything is it's haunting the whole movie mm-hmm. like it's mm. it, it haunts um uh, trevelyan's back backstory yeah. wow uh, you yeah know, it's it's you know definitely makes mi6 feel like you know what do we do now like who who do we point these weapons yes. to yes at? When we don't have like our you know our big bad enemy anymore, and like it, it, it even gets a little bit on the nose where they actually go to a like cemetery for That's the so monuments good. of the Soviet Union, which is just yes. a, a phenomenal like you know it, it's just really really good production design and set design and which you know it emphasizes all these themes and like particularly where that's where bond meets up with janice for the first time and things like mm-hmm. that like it just it, it yeah it it's and, and then we still have the um. I forget how you say his name, Olamov or Olamov, the the other, like the Soviet general who's kind of still, still like, you know, lurking around the shadows and things like that. But he, he ultimately turns out to not be much of a, you know, not, not to be the actual big bad as, as it would turn out. Trevelin even says outright kind of complainingly, like we were trained to have this purpose of fighting this war. And then they tell us that it's over. Yeah. And what are we supposed to do with that? And James and, and, J- James just said James J- Jimmy as uh Jimmy as his, his late his late in the film bud says Joe um, Don Baker baby yeah, oh, so good uh so he, good. he goes that's you know that's the job that we volunteered for no no I, I think he says that's the job we were chosen for which is an interesting way of putting it I yeah think. but yes Jack what was it Jack Ward is that his name Jack CIA, Ward yeah the CIA I so great I love that. And interesting that this is actually Joe Don's second appearance in a Bond film. He was um, in um, Living Daylights, actually. I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, he he's the he's like a villain in one of the previous ones. I forget. Oh my gosh, I um, I'm forgetting now. That's now I'm feeling. We're all feverishly. <laughs> oh, Jack Wade. I'm sorry, Jack Wade. CIA. Jack Wade. Jack yeah, Wade. With, and, that's you know, it it's it's it is weird that he they have. Like you know, Felix Leiter is the classic like CIA 
yeah. um, contact. So it, it, it's, I've never seen any ex, uh, explanation for why um, they felt they needed him. Uh, like, you know, kind of like a Felix Leiter, like stand in rather than actually having a Felix Leiter. But I, I'm assuming that has to do with the, uh, the like legal gray area between um, that arose after the thunder thunderball fallout between yeah. Ian Fleming and like that whole people who like took the rights to Spectre and Blofeld and all that thing. So that there was a long stretch where the the mainstream Bond movies couldn't do those characters. I'm assuming that's how maybe Felix Leiter was also, but then he was I don't know. Anyway, he may have been huh. he may have been not permitted into the movie, but one of the reasons that it was uh, Jack Wade in this movie, I guess one of the guys who did a pass on the screenplay who's not credited anywhere. Uh, they gave the last name Wade to the character he introduced, which is the CIA <laughs> asset. So rather than him be like a kind of like perennial uh, Bond character, they're like, we'll we'll make this guy kind of be like your credit along with the paycheck that we hmm. cut for you. I have oh, to say, I suspect it really struck me this time watching this that Jack Wade had more lines or did more stuff in some other cut of the film. Because there's even a couple lines that don't really make sense. When yes. When he picks him up at the airport, he says something about, do you like gardening? And it's just a total non sequitur. And I was like, is it a joke about the rose tattoo on his ass? Like, what is he trying to, what is this about? And then, and then he just kind of like disappears from the film also. Like, yeah, well, there was probably more drops him off at, at the, at the gangster. I think you're totally right. That gardening line totally threw me off. I expected them to like have a punchline or for it to come up later right. in the movie. It totally doesn't. If it's about the rose tattoo on his ass, that's not well good written. for them. Yeah, like, I fine, yeah. I guess. Um, and I actually forgot about him. Like the entire film forgot about this which, man. Which is one of the movies, like maybe like best punchlines though. That is like right yes. at the end when but that, that, you know, dude, I busted up. I have seen it's that. Huge. It's so good. It's, it's so, so fucking funny. funny. Yeah. Right no as Brosnan, <laughs> right as Brosnan and Isabella uh, Skorupka uh, are ready to like finally like consummate their passion. Uh, in the field after saving the day they're like no one's around for 25 miles and then boom jodan baker shows up and then everybody in the field or all the all the lumps in the field all the grass in it's the field. two punchlines though yes. they let his beat land first right well and then where you think it's just him right He's like then, hey guy i'm tobacco fields i told you because then brosnan's <laughs> like is this your idea of like showing up like in a pinch and he's like i, I told you i'd be here Marines, and then all of these like ghillie suited Marines like <laughs> pop up out of nowhere. And it's three, a really three good helicopters joke. drop down too. In the so many helicopters Wait, in this movie. We got to talk about this. I said to Aaron at one point, I was like, okay. So last night I was like a little bit delirious. It was like one thirty, and I was watching this movie, and I was like, I had a moment where I like paused the film, and I was like, there's there's so many helicopters in this movie. <laughs> So many helicopters. And I was just like, am I just like really tired? Am I like, and then like we, we finished watching it this morning and I was like looking at it in like the clear light of day. And I was like, nope, I'm right. And They're like, everywhere. I had, I had made a, a tally. I'd made a tally on my notes. There are like, I shit you not at least like 20 helicopters in this <laughs> so film. Many. There, there's one like every seven minutes in this movie. And, and I don't know, like 
if it's an inside joke or if they just are like, hey, like we have all these helicopters, let's fucking do something with them. And they it's cool. They're cool on screen. Like I love seeing them. But by the time we got to the end, when we got to the end and then there were three in that last shot, I was like, okay. I, okay, guys. I have maybe a, a reasoning for this that I have discovered. Tell me. Well, first of all, Did one the of, American mili- military have like a bunch of Blackhawks or something? The French or? military. Okay. The French military had a bunch of tiger helicopters that apparently they let the the production team have like full access to so for the entire shoot. Like, I'm fucking taking the helicopter out today, yeah, they, dude. They had, <laughs> they had access to like a frigate, like it's it's where the helicopter takes off from, like when they steal it. They like that, you know, is the, the MacGuffin it's, it's stealth, of the movie. It's a stealth frigate. It's right, like a it's a stealth frigate. Frigate. It's 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 a real ship too. Like like they, it is. I think it's, they it's use a French... the name of the ship too. Like it has a Wikipedia it, entry. <laughs> okay, yes. well that's why. It is I a, mean that's why. It's a French naval ship, and then they gave them full access to the helicopters. So I imagine they're like, "Fuck it, we get free helicopters. Let's use them." You guys, <laughs> the answer is simple. It's it's boys with their toys. It's boys yeah. with their toys. I I do have to say the part with the Eurocopter Tiger is. W- w- feels inessential to the plot it's all it's awesome it makes no sense fitting in with janice's whole scheme but it's it's True. awesome it, it's it fits perfectly in the film and i love that i love how long it takes to actually get to the scheme and there's so yes. so complicated and it's like well we need so complicated. we need the, the like the 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 uh, the electromagnetic shielded helicopter so that we can steal the emp weapons so that we can hack the banks and then array it's really complicated it's they super off, convoluted they set off two nuclear weapons yes. in, yeah. this, in yes. this film that yeah. nobody remarks they upon indeed. they're just like well there's no more right no there's no well more. <laughs> well they're in space so like, yeah. let's be clear like it's 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 just the emp wave from right. the radiation that hits the earth so we're all it's all good it's fine. <laughs> uh but no you're right like it's Real, like lightning shooting through everything yes and, oh yeah. that I, I that scene looks so good that was, yeah. so one, good. That was maybe yeah. my rules. favorite effect in the in the so yes, good me too i i gotta say like so uh, we'll we'll name drop them again but friend of the show uh comrade yui when we were talking about this movie, they, they told me Martin Campbell is kind of like the poor man's John McTiernan, but that still means that he's fucking great. Uh, and, and I was watching this movie and I was like, that is a perfect description of it. There is a lot of great special effects work. The action is clean and the miniature work, especially in those scenes when they're like in Severnaya and things are like blowing up and the helicopters are around and the ships are, are everywhere. Like, that stuff to me, along with some of the CGI on like the satellites, looks really good. Mm-hmm. It 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 has aged well, also. Yeah. Um, but now now that we're here in the Severnaya stuff, I do want to talk a little bit about the other Bond girl in the movie. Yes, uh, Isabella uh, Skorupka. So, one of the things I found remarkable about this movie on this watch is that do you guys remember with No Time to Die, the latest Bond, like Craig's last Bond movie? Didn't see it. They. I'm going to ruin a little bit of it for you. No, Sorry. It's fine. I'm sure uh, that's ruined already. So go for it. <laughs> there are, there was a, a big fuss made in like the PR campaign, the promotions for it about the fact that they were handing the script over to Phoebe Waller bridge uh, to like, let her do to lady it up, to lady it up, <laughs> yeah, li- literally to lady yes. it up, to like yeah. do a, like do a, a pass on it and make sure that all the do female a feminism characters, on this script. Yeah. Make sure, make sure the female characters all felt like fleshed out and lived in and authentic and like, make sure that they were like feminist enough for the movie. 
that script and the Bond women in it, i.e. Leah Seydoux, Anna de Armas, I, I think they're all doing good work. The Anna de Armas sequence in the movie itself is like one of the high points. She does a great job. She's very charming. It's fun watching her fight with Bond. But in this movie, uh, there's like just as much of that going on. Like mm-hmm. you have Famke Janssen's character who's like this awesome, unapologetic, like horny as shit, like villainous, murderous woman mm-hmm. who has all these cool kind of layers and, you know, just nuances and textures to femininity to her. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Isabella Skropka, who's a woman in STEM. Who is like a who who is like a computer scientist at a at a nuclear plant? And she right, has a or, normal or name too. She's not she's not yeah. named like com- computer Vaginovich or something. Right, she's not No, she's got a totally normal name. She's Natalia Simonova. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I actually really like her character. They give her a, like plenty to do. Mm-hmm. She they from the get-go pair her up with a very kind of dorky Alan Cumming. He's really <laughs> He's fun great. in the movie. He's, He's really great. fun. so good. Oh I mean, God. I love Alan Cumming. Uh, his his, his Russian of... accent is like seared into my brain. Like, <laughs> that, yeah. It's I am so, invincible. Like, it's so fucking cartoonish. <laughs> yes. It's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's a stage actor first and foremost. I know. He's, Let's yes. remember that. <laughs> he's wonderful in it. Uh, also, just as a quick aside, two uh, future X-Men stars, both in this movie, uh, him and, and Famke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they kind of pair her up with him, make her be kind of like the straight man in this, a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, even though he's apparently like the brainiac who can like hack everything and, you know, do all the, the wizardry. He can't in the end. He can't in the end. <laughs> right. She outsmarts him in the end. And along the way, she has some fun. Like she's the one who ultimately gives Bond the upper hand in the final fight with mm-hmm. Trevelyan uh, because she sneaks onto the helicopter and like points a gun at the pilot's head. And I don't know. They they just give both of those female characters in the movie plenty to do and round them out in a way that like for 95 even and for a movie that uh, I w- was anticipating would be a little bit more regressive on this front just because it was mm-hmm. sort of tapping into a lot of that kind of classic bond ethos. Yeah. It's just it's just funny to me the way that like those things are kind of cyclical where it's like we did all this work and all had all this hullabaloo mm-hmm. to make the ladies smart and kick ass and you have a movie from 25 years ago where the ladies are smart and kick ass and there was no fuss over it but right. don't you get it it's the hullabaloo that is important yes right. yes yeah. exactly I, I i was just so i think about this all the time with um disney films which which obviously having you know two two young kids i've rewatched like all of the disney films and a lot of those films really were making a point of trying to be progressive about stuff for instance yes in 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 Aladdin, they make a big point about Jasmine being like, "I'm not. I'm just. Not, I'm not gonna just marry some man because my dad told me to. I'm independent. I'm a princess. I'm gonna lead this country." And but I think what Carly said is exactly correct. It wasn't. It wasn't so overt as to be like the main thing in the promotion, which is what they do, including with Aladdin, for instance, which I thought was hilarious that they were like, oh, well, Jasmine was this, this, you know, submissive pat. I'm like, no, she wasn't. What are you talking yeah. about? And I, I, she I totally feel like, wasn't. I feel like it, it's the same thing with this where I, I'm, I 100% guarantee that that was intentional. That was a specific decision to update the film for this. It's, it's just not quite as lampshaded as it mm-hmm. would be now and they didn't make 
such a promotional deal about it because that wasn't that that didn't get written up by a million billion blogs in you know, right. 95. yeah and we're not like getting we're not getting anything anymore right. as a society ever yeah right like from anyone ever at any time <laughs> yes we're just like all being constantly immiserated and like deprived of pleasure and you know excess and and anything right so mm. what they have to give us is the the song and dance that they're doing stuff for us right, right? Mm-hmm. like they have to that's what we're buying when we when we buy those tickets we're buying the like tap dance of like mm-hmm. oh no they're, they're doing stuff for us they're doing stuff for ladies they're like <laughs> making ladies you know not like oppressed anymore they're not <laughs> like w- we still don't get paid as much as you guys like yeah. all those things right like mm-hmm. no material progress is made and there the refusal for this society to make that progress is obfuscated by the song and dance now. And, and that is what so many people believe Mm -hmm. is progress. And it's all happening on the plane of consumerism. Mm -hmm. Of course, none of it is happening anywhere objectively (sighs) substantive or sort of like impactful to your day to day, like material existence. So like, I actually find a lot of the stuff that's getting made today with this song and dance to be incredibly retrogressive mm-hmm. and the way that they talk about some of these characters to be incredibly retrogressive. Well, because it's like shoehorned in, it's cynical, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like, it's a deliberate thing rather than like a part of the holistic story. It, it's not unlike it, it's different, but it's not unlike a lot of the conversations and sorry to bring it up on the show, but around uh, Oscar winner, everything everywhere all at once. And be careful. Uh, I, I will be. It's but, pa- it's a Patreon episode. We're fine. No, it's not. Oh. Uh, it's it's a free <laughs> but, uh, whoops. Friend of the show, John Semley, had this thing that he was talking about with that, where it's like you know there is this like concerted effort in like the PR machine to make it seem like this is the first successful movie to ever feature Asian filmmakers and Asian actors. Not just that, the first successful movie to feature Michelle Yeoh. (laughs) Fucking insane. Fuck off. Fuck off. And his point was a valid one, which was like, this just to me shows like how narrow the aperture of a lot of moviegoers is where it's like, oh, this is, you know, like, like my media diet is so structured and so minuscule Mm -hmm. that this thing does seem really profound to me because I've never actually engaged with the stuff outside of those blinders that could actually inform how I see this as part of like the landscape of things that are produced. It's a totally skewed Western imperial mindset. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. the thing that you have when you go to a place that you are colonizing and you're like, Oh shit, look at all this <laughs> yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. that. It's yes. like, okay, yeah, if you've never fucking seen like you know, Hong Kong action cinema or whatever, like you're going to be like, "Holy my oh my god, yeah. Michelle Yao, and look yeah. at her. Wow." Yeah. It's insane and it's so patronizing and it's the stuff that I find like really really not just nauseating, but like actually like antagonistic toward any real progress that that is the thing that bothers me most about those kinds of conversations they get away with it because you know the majority of people out there are are just like they have netflix they turn on netflix and they're like they just watch whatever's on netflix and there's nothing on netflix anymore well no there's not not really watch on netflix oh my god like the like the 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 people who are like movie sickos like me like you guys like everybody here it's it's a vanishingly smaller 
certain smaller group out there. And uh, so it's not, it doesn't pay to like market anything to us to say, Hey, this is Michelle Yeoh of super cop fame. Like it's yeah. like, right. no, yeah, like it's, you know, she's, this is Michelle Yeoh from that bad season of this Star Trek discovery that you didn't like, you know I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> uh, it, yeah. it's, it's just very, um, it's just very uh, a narrow, uh, you know, way. And, and I, I mean, like, not to say, you know, it's not, I, I'm not necessarily judging those people who, but like most people just will just get, you know, what's fed to them, not, not necessarily like seek out. And cause you know, it takes work <laughs> and it totally does. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what guys, it, cancel culture wanna... has gotten so badly. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. no, it's, it's the woke mob. No, it's... <laughs> we're not, we're not that performance of like, look like, look what we're doing. We're mm -hmm. giving this award to someone and that's not to diminish her talent. That's not to diminish that she deserves that award, but it is that like, that like, here you go. See, we're giving it to you. That that is the thing that just feels like mm -hmm. so archaic yeah. and so like backwards that I, mm -hmm. I can't stomach it. Well, in, in the context of Bond, I think that's the thing that feels like kind of paternalistic and and flattening about it, which is that, yeah, of course, there is like a sexual component to these movies. And you know, there is a little bit of it that is, you know, a little bit misogynistic in terms of just the way that he womanizes and for like a female audience is probably not as enticing as it is for male audiences always. I mean, it is like Sean Connery and, you know, fucking Daniel Craig and they're beautiful men. Uh, but there's more to it than that often. Did you, know, did you there, notice more that, than that. Uh, Trevelyan also calls him out on that? He mentions yeah. he he mentions yes. him like drinking all the time, and yes. then he mentions him going I, I, I have trying quote. to sleep with everybody. Yeah, I, I have that quote because it, the idea of Trevelyan as like a dark mirror of Bond is, is really I, I think that really because so, and I think that also feeds back to the theme of post-Soviet, where there's no longer like the huge geopolitical, uh, you know, existential enemy out there. It's now like more. Um, dealing with the ramifications of everything you did during the cold war. Yes. So like uh, Trevelyan is, you know, ostensibly seeking justice for his, you know, Cossack family who apparently helped the Nazis, I guess at some point, right? Yes. Like That's what it seems like. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, you know, fuck them, but like, uh, it, it, so it's all about like ramifications of the prehistory. So it's very much, uh, you know, end of history type storyline, but Trevelyan, and I think it's funny because Trevelyan bringing up that point of like, you know, I, even though I'm the evil shit, I'm not doing this bad shit that you're doing, uh, Bond, where he's like, spare me the Freud. Yeah, that <laughs> well, was, that was great. I love that. Well, he, well so cause good. when it's finally revealed that, you know, despite all the like, you know, protestations of like justice and revenge and stuff like that ultimately comes down to, he's just stealing some money. And, uh, you know, James Bond says, uh, you know, all, also the mad little Alec can settle a score with the world 50 years on. And Trevelyan says, spare me the Freud. I might as well ask you for the vodka martinis that have silenced the screams of all the men you've killed. Or if you find forgiveness in the arms of those women, all those women willing, willing women and for the dead ones you failed to protect and it's just it's this banger line because he has bond dead to rights right there like yes. right there i'm so glad you wrote that quote down it's awesome it it's so fucking good owns and, and sean bean owns it he, he, owns he like oh there's maybe only one line in the film that stood out to me where I was like, I don't think that they would put that in to today. I, like, I, I think I think it's a lot that they wouldn't put in today. But I think the only one that probably would 
not pass muster and probably I would be okay with them ditching is the one is uh Jack Wade calling his car an ugly bitch. I was oh, yeah. like that. Oh. Th- I was like they wouldn't do. I, I was like this is how people talk, but they wouldn't put that line in yeah. now specifically. And I was yeah. like, and also I don't know that that like I, I don't feel like it would lose anything to not call the to not call the car a bitch. <laughs> so funny. I I liked it. Didn't even register with me because I was like, of course that's how CIA guys talk about their cars. Right. Like, as an ugly bitch. Well, he he an sexualizes it too. He specifically says she's an ugly bitch, but she gets you there. And I was like, okay, he gets you all there. right, all right, Jack, all right, Jack. In, all right, Jack. <laughs> in in the in the new version of this, it would be a uh, bisexual Latino with imposter syndrome who works for the CIA. Don't start. Who <laughs> says something like, "My car's serving cunt" or something? I'm going to cut all this. But like, <laughs> all right, I wasn't I wasn't sure where that riff was going, but that's that's what it would there. be in a new Bond movie. You, you landed the dismount on that one, my friend. Um, I think something really important about related to all the stuff we're talking about this post post-soviet era that we're in and also the, the two female characters that feel kind of progressive for a 1995 film is that they also represent something really key to like an american sort of media landscape and the narratives that like we were being fed after the end of history they represent good Russians and mm. bad Russians yep. yeah, and the yeah. existence of good Russians and bad Russians is really important after the end of history, because we have to now work with this country, mm. right? Mm-hmm. We've got diplomats in there. We've what's, well, why can't I think of his name? <laughs> Who? Fucking Gor- was it Gorbachev. Gorbachev. Yeah. yeah. We've got Glasnost, man. Glasnost. Yeah. Like, so, so like we have to at once declare like, that there is this sort of new regime and that like we've, we've broken through Mm -hmm. and we also have to remind everyone, these people are our sworn enemy. Mm -hmm. So don't fucking get comfortable. Like Mm we, we didn't, you know, spend trillions of fucking dollars and kill millions of people for the last 50 fucking years for nothing. Mm -hmm. Don't get, don't, don't get any ideas that like that was wasted and that was all a sham. There still needs to be like that reminder that these people were and can still be an existential threat, right? Mm-hmm. That is very important to the American military imperial project. And so like when you have these two women on a top being this sort of like maniac uh, who represents this like old communist guard mm-hmm. um, of Stalin and the like and Natalia, Natalia, Natalia yeah. Being this like, oh, see, they want to be like us. They mm-hmm. want to be Americans. They want to mm-hmm. have jobs and briefcases yeah. and like, you know, do science. <laughs> on, not on sex more murder than, people. Right. And, and not, not sex, sex murder. murder people. On more than one occasion, the way that they uh, offer a shorthand for the good like Gorbachev era Russians is uh, how well they embrace hard currency. Yes. And how interested they are in American dollars. A hundred percent. It has everything to do with the alignment of like Western economy, right. Western industry. It's the neoliberal project. STEM. Like mm-hmm. it, it is all about mapping this new Russian regime to like their willingness and their their desire to be American you know and what's... to be like to to move away from that that red guard. You know what's funny though is I think if you didn't know that 
the Soviet Union had had ended and gone away between the intro. Like, like if you didn't know when that happened, I don't think you would pick up on the fact that that the movie switches to from Soviet to post-Soviet because they really it really still seems very Soviet. Like it's clear <laughs> it that sure the movie yeah, oh, hasn't absolutely. figured out how to depict Russians in a non-Soviet way. Because like yeah. Oromov yes. is still wearing like a Soviet, like everyone's still dressed yeah. in like Soviet military u- uniforms. Everything still has, which I mean makes sense. Like like it seems it seems plausible, but it, it's it's like even when he goes into like the meeting with like the ministers, it's 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 all very Soviet. It's really not until I, I think. You get to those scenes where, as you say, it's like people complaining about like, oh, it's uh, um whatever the gangster's name is. He's like, I can't deal with all this like free market capitalism or something. Mm-hmm. He says it outright. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think you would necessarily pick up on the fact that it's supposed to be post-Soviet, apart from yeah. the fact, you know, but in obviously in 95, that was like still the biggest news in the world. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, aesthetic, everyone, aesthetically, it's very still tied to the Soviet yeah. Union era. And, yeah. and plus, like later on in the film, like the 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 faceless goons are always Soviet soldiers. Even yes. even yep. even later in the film, when it doesn't make yes. any sense for Janice to no. have like a whole detachment of Soviet uh, like <laughs> soldiers, because Oromov was presumably his hookup, and he's dead. But he's still got he's all dead. these Soviets around. He's like, "Go fight, Russian guys." <laughs> I think it's like I mean, maybe I'm like giving the sort of political motivations behind some of these decisions like more heft than they deserve but I think it would make sense to me to still communicate to an American and like just a western capitalist audience that like they haven't gone away like they're this this bubble is still like penetrable by these people and so I think there's also like there's perhaps like a they don't know how to depict like bad Russians without making them Soviet. Yeah. And I think there's also like a convenience to still. We being still like, don't know still how to depict bad Russians without making right. them Soviet. That's very Look, true. Look how many people are like, oh, we're talking about bad Putin. We need to put like the hammer and sicker all over yep. everything. Yes. That's shorthand yes. for bad Russians still. <laughs> yeah. But like it behooves the American project for people to think like it, it, that like persistence of that association right. of like bad Russians with communism and with like Soviet era right. Russia. It's it's two birds with one stone. It totally is. <laughs> it's two it's twenty-four helicopters with one stone. <laughs> I swear to God there were twenty-four. I don't have a whole lot more to say apart from Dame Judy is excellent and she gets yes. some nice yeah. zingers in. I wish she had yes. more to do. The, oh, oh, the the one zinger of hers that I do want to call out, um, which depths firmly plants this in 1995, is when uh, they're like watching some video and Bond says, are these live? And and uh, M says, of course, uh, we don't like to get our bad news from CNN that like the American. Funny. That was good. Yes. And, so which good. Is, yeah. It's, it's a very that. 1995 line. But then it also kind of like foreshadows uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which shows you mm-hmm. uh, w- because that's all about like a, a Rupert Murdoch like figure, you know controlling the news and th- and controlling the world events and yes. things like that but um it, it shows that like media the the growing like presence and and threat of media like f- almost taking over the threat and a presence of like you know malicious governments yes 100% and that those two things are are necessarily interlocked with one another in some way right. that they 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 affect one another yep yep 
Yeah, I had forgotten that Judy Dench was like the connective tissue between the Brosnan and the Craig Bonds. Like yeah. when her name showed up in the credits, I was like, oh yeah, she is M in like all of these movies and in the Craig era ones. Yeah, uh, yeah, she does a great job in this one. And you know, we already talked about like kind of her. Uh, you know, I think you're a misogynist and a, a dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, or whatever. Um, but yeah, she's she's always been good and mm. just crushing this role. If we're just like shooting stuff out before we end, I just want to say Minnie Driver's name. Oh, Minnie Driver! Oh my God, that's I had r- for fucking forgotten she was in this movie. <laughs> I probably actually it. never knew that she was in she's this movie. She's in it for like 25 seconds, and I love every second of her. It's so, when I saw her, I was just like, oh my God, like Minnie Driver would have been a good Bond girl. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, either way, I got to see her in like a hot pink, like sexy cowboy outfit. Just so I'm wa- happy. Just wailing her lungs wailing, out. Wailing, just totally off key. Uh, something else I want to mention in our closing minutes is that the Q sequence is fucking great. Yeah, oh, it's that so good. Was really funny. I love just all the explosions and people just zipping around in the background, just like mm-hmm. little. It's very. It becomes like a like a naked gun movie yes. for like yes. for like two or three minutes. A hundred percent. I had that exact, I literally, it was like, this is like giving Leslie Nielsen. It's mm-hmm. like, it's beautiful slapstick comedy. Yeah. When the, my, my favorite part of the, the entire sequence is the very last line when <laughs> fucking James goes for a, a, a baguette, this, a sandwich. And, and Q says, Oh, don't touch that. That's my lunch. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and cr- critically, good comedy writing there because it would be very tempting to have, to have Bond say something like, oh, why? Is it a blah, blah, blah? But no, the, they knew the joke would land without it. Yes. 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 It's the, clean. Yes. And, and, and it's also nice because, you know, Desmond Llewellyn is the like only returning actor from the previous um Bond series, so it's mm-hmm. it, it does lend itself a little, you know, some continuity, uh, and not in the like, you know, story wank sense, but like in a, you know, just mm-hmm. a, a a nice to have, like, you know, our, our <laughs> old buddy Q's back. Yep, totally. And with that, I think we have come to the end of our time discussing <laughs> Golden Eye, nineteen ninety five. Chris Woodward, Kurt Schiller, thank you both so very much for being here on the show with us. You two are always a pleasure. Oh, yeah. We love you so very much. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks so much for having us back. This has been, been delightful. Yeah. Love, love All, right back at you. Always a delight. Uh, Kurt and Chris, where can people find you two around the internet? So you can find us primarily on the podcast Podside Picnic with our good friends Carlo and Pete and a rotating cast of other characters. Uh, and we uh, cover the literature and filmography of the fantastic. So that's uh, science fiction, fantasy, a little bit of horror. Um, we've got a great series going on currently uh, about the culture series of novels by by Ian M. Banks, which are, to be brief, communist space opera. I'll just say that. Oh, um, yes. And you can also find uh, both, both Chris and I actually periodically writing at uh, my uh, magazine Blood Knife, which is about... Uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and capitalism. And you can find that online at bloodknife.com. We've had a little bit of delay getting new stuff out, but we've got a bunch of new stuff coming in the very near future. And just to reiterate, thanks so much for having us back on. This this has been delightful. It was great to rewatch this film. What a film. It really was. What a film. Endlessly, just a joy to have you both. Uh, Come back 
anytime. We'll have you on again very soon. We need to have you two on on Podside in the Absolutely. future. Anytime. 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 Anywhere. You said it. From our end of things, uh, you can follow along with us at Hit Factory Pod. You can subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod. Shout out to our capitalist overlords. Their names are Linda, Jesse K, and Jared Murray. And we will catch you all the very next time. See ya. Either about the youth, about the